Welcome back to the podcast, episode 83. As always, you're here with Hoop and Saney. Um, today's deep dive is on James Harden, someone who's always in the media. I, I want to say like he's in the media a lot right now, but it's always been the case with how many uh, requests, trades he's put out there. Um, someone who has a lot of negative media attention that we want to give an objective view on. Um, I know I feel like he's a little overhated. I don't know about you. But uh, as an OKC fan, I'm sure you want to set the record straight as well. So I'm definitely happy we're able to do them. 100%. And, and just to clarify, the purpose of these deep dives isn't to necessarily back up a player. It's more to give the real scoop or kind of look at it from an unbiased standpoint because it's very easy to create um, a media-driven opinion on something. When it's popular to hate on a player, you're going to hate on him. We're not here to defend James Harden. We're just necessarily here going over his whole career, again, from a non-biased standpoint, um, so that you can actually take a respectable look at his career rather than judge your opinion off an Instagram comment. Yeah, I mean, um, if, a dude's, I know, if a dude's inefficient, we're going to say you're inefficient. We're going to say he's inefficient. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't, 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 don't listen to this thinking we're going to make the case for James Harden on why he shouldn't be hated. We're just making the case of his career and talking about you know, different aspects. If this isn't your first deep dive episode, you're going to know how this rolls. Um, but again, if if it sounds like I'm hating or hoops hating, we're spitting out a fact. If it sounds like we're glazing, we're just spitting out a fact. Like we're, we're here. We're not, we're not here to take a side. Right. I think I can, we could both agree. Yeah, like, hoop, like up, up until the Carmelo Anthony episode, I'll be objective. Yeah. Up until the <laughs> Carmelo. And that's going to be a great deep dive. That is like just no guarantee. We're doing a mellow episode. Yeah. That is a crazy player to do. Um, but like you said, let, let's kind of run through um, in in order uh, uh, in the order of when how his career panned out, like from from his rookie years, obviously to his Houston years, to his Brooklyn years, and whatnot. We'll start with OKC. Obviously, me being the OKC fan, I think it makes more sense for me to take the throttle on this one. Um, but I know that obviously you like to do the draft stuff yes. for each deep dive we do. So if you want to quickly go over kind of James Harden and the draft and that 2009 draft class, which is by the way. Um, Nobody talks about how that's one of the best draft classes of all time. That draft class was wild when you take a look at that class compared to other classes. There was genuinely like four superstars. And <laughs> like, um, the second overall pick was Hashim Stabit. It was, yeah. I, I talk about that too. I talk about that, but I'd love for you to continue. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the first overall pick is like a real solid first overall pick in any other year in Blake Griffin. But it just so happened that Steph Curry went number seven. Um, the total order was the Clippers took Blake, then Memphis took Hashim to beat. G- God bless them. Uh, OKC took James Harden at three. Uh, Sacramento took Tyreek Evans, who once again was looking like a superstar. Off Rookie rip. of the year. Yes. Um, then Minnesota took two guards, um, Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn. And the third guard that they left out went to the Warriors and Steph Curry. Uh, the Knicks took Jordan Hill. The Raptors took DeMar DeRozan. Of course they did. Of course they did. Don't bring it up. And uh, Milwaukee took Brandon Jennings. So just off rip, that top 10 is... Who was also a superstar. He was supposed to be a superstar. Brandon Jennings? Wow. What a player. He handed... uh, Didn't he hand Steph a 50 bomb? And he broke... Bro, Steph literally... Like, if you think Steph uh, gave Chris Paul the work on that nene, go look up Brandon Jennings' ankle breaker on Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to be a part of the super team we formed in 2017. Uh, He was the sixth man. <laughs> I remember always in, in that Washington game clapping uh, against the wa- in the against the Wizards. Uh, but let's not talk about Jennings. Let's continue with Harden. 
Um, yeah, so aside from where he was selected, obviously he's going into a place where he's playing with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. But I have a draft comparison here, which I always like to bring up because a lot of them are sca- like they're scary accurate. Um, yeah. I don't know what this guy's name, so shout out to him. But he said the best case scenario was Manu Ginobili, um, which is like the one player that people compare James Harden to. Um, and the worst case was Courtney Lee. Obviously, it's safe to say that as a scorer, he was better than Ginobili was. Um, you could you could say Ginobili. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, dump on Manu. Let's not get crazy. Let's, let's not get crazy. <laughs> Manu was nice. Um, but don't put Manu and Harden in the same no. combo when it comes to scoring. Let's not get crazy. No, I didn't mean score. I just meant whatever. Whatever. I, I know what you meant, man. I'll, I'll play it. I'll um, but this guy says that while Harden's one of the best scorers in the draft, his issue of aggressiveness may scare off some teams, and this is a uh, trend that we're going to get to later on when we talk about the playoffs. Um. Harden, he says, Harden seems like he's going to be more like a system guy um, who, in the tournament performances that he had, uh, 19 points in just three field goals in two games, this is the NCAA tournament, Harden was more than willing to pass up an open look when the defense was shading his way. So kind of like we've seen in these last few years and that that one against uh, San Antonio in 2017, which we'll all talk about, these disappearing acts, um, where he's just kind of not shooting like he would. This has been a trend since the tournament days. So it's just funny that he picked that up and he said this would be an issue, which is the main issue with James Harden, um, which we're going to be objective about because he he does disappear like a ghost in the playoffs. Um, so shout out that guy. W analysis. W analysis. Um, I do like how you bring up the draft because I'm going to bring it up here shortly. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about Harden and his OKC years. He only spent three seasons there. Um, and 100%, like, they're probably some of the most forgetful seasons of a superstar's career that you'll see in recent history. Not to say that Harden didn't show promise from the start, but obviously Durant and Westbrook. The moral of the story is Harden on OKC, he's in the shadows of two up-and-coming superstars who ended up becoming superstars, of course. It just wasn't Harden's time at the time. Right place, wrong time. But James Harden, through his first few seasons in the league with OKC, again, obviously, we didn't really expect him to turn into that superstar, and he was more looked at as one of the best reserves in the NBA. So I really like that Manu Ginobili comparison because if Harden stayed on OKC, I could really see him taking that Manu Ginobili role where he clearly has, like he, he's like a head of, of the, the three-headed dragon that they have for this franchise, right? Like he's obviously crucial. He just impacts the game in ways that don't really show up on the stat sheet as much as a superstar would. Um, big ups to Manu, by the way, legend. But Harden was that spark for OKC off the bench. Rarely started. Like I, I don't think he started more than 10 games in his three seasons there. Um, circling back to the draft a little because again like the biggest thing about me with Harden was how quick we were to label him as a potential superstar when the time came when he was that number one option we'll, we'll dive deep into that in a sec but let's take a look back at the draft again and kind of go more in depth on what Hoop was speaking about now Harden may have not been seen as the consensus consensus apologies uh, number one pick that was obviously Blake Griffin um, but there were a few media outlets that actually had Harden labeled as the best prospect heading into the draft. Um, I'm going to quote Bleacher Report here. Harden might just be the safest prospect in this draft. He has the ability to run offense like a point guard or slash like a swingman. Bringing up your point again about how scary some analysts are because that literally describes his time in Houston, but let's keep going. 
He has the physical and mental maturity to be a star at the next level and is ready to be a starter and a contributor, tr contributor, apologies, right away. Again, gets sent to Houston, becomes a starter, contributes instantly. Like it's, it's crazy how like, how accurate some of these analysts can be. But the point being is there was obviously some buzz around Harden heading into the league where it's like, okay, this guy could be the next deal. He's showing promise. Ultimately, he lands up on OKC. He's behind Durant and Westbrook. And he really only shows the impact he can make come playoff time because that's ultimately where you roll with your big dogs, um, when, when, when you're, especially when you're a young franchise trying to gather uh, playoff experience. But and can, again, can, sorry. Yeah, if I could just interject, can you explain who the two guard was at that time? Because it, it is weird to me that, I mean, you can say how, how the Thunder the were lineup, at that time, but like for a top three pick to come off the bench for three straight years is interesting. I believe now I would have to look at the lineup. So I, I can check it. But, but I believe Sabo Cephalosha was definitely at one point in that starting lineup. I believe Jeff Green might have been playing. I don't know if Durant was playing the four or Green was playing the four. I don't know who would who would run at the two guard. But I do know that Harden was coming off the bench. There's a good chance, a great chance that it was Sabo Cephalosha. Don't take my word on it, but Cephalosha was kind of like that defensive spark in the backcourt, uh, and he was deemed as like a vet back in the day. So I for a young it, team, they I definitely need to here. run it. Um, so this is was it this is the year he was drafted. You have a 21-year-old KD, a 23-year-old yep. Jeff Green, a 21-year-old Westbrook, 25-year-old yep. Tabo, and yep. then okay, so was Tabo. Yeah, Nenad Kristich, yeah, <laughs> whoever that is. Um, I guess he yep. was the, the five man. So yeah, Tabo. Yeah, it was Tabo. Um, and he was to be fair, Tabo was great defensively. Um, but because you don't really need that scoring when you have Russ and KD, anyway. Harden ultimately goes third in the draft, even though that there are a few media outlets looking at him as like the safest pick because obviously Blake Griffin, big at the time, whatever, we're not going to go deep into Blake Griffin. But Hashim Tabit was taken over him. And I just want to say this, do not call the Grizzlies casuals by taking Tabit. Um, I know in retrospect now, it's really funny to look at, but you do have to remember at the time, it made no sense for Harden to take Memphis. I believe that Harden goes number two if OKC was at that two spot. But Memphis already had a very young OJ Mayo. I believe he was 22, 21, like very young age. Him and Mike Conley. OJ Mayo was coming off like a 19 points per game season as a very young guard. If you don't know about OJ Mayo, go educate yourself. <laughs> the next Michael Jordan. And obviously Mike Conley, they're putting their trust in that backcourt. It made no sense to kind of bring in somebody new. Um, and Marcus Gasol was still fairly young. I mean, he showed promise, but it made sense to take the best big because that was kind of what you needed at the time if you're the Memphis Grizzlies. Um... Now, let's kind of look at Harden's rookie year real quick. Again, th these years are kind of forgettable, so I don't want to go like too crazy with it, but Harden showed promise his rookie year. Um, even though he's known as a scorer and he went third, he ranked eighth amongst rookies in points per game. Uh, but number one, he was behind Westbrook and Durant coming off the bench. Um, he also had the second lowest usage rate of the rookies ahead of him with Amari Caspi having like a 0.7% less percentage than him. Like it wasn't as crazy and he only averaged like 0.2 more. Um, but his sophomore season is kind of when the promise really started to show uh, for James Harden during OKC's playoff run. Uh, Harden ranked third in points per game on the OKC Thunder with 13 points uh, per game behind Durant and Westbrook coming off the bench, showing that he could be crucial and show up to a successful playoff team and play his role. Now, they ultimately lose to the soon-to-be Dallas Mavericks in the Western Conference Finals in five games. Uh, which is super, by the way, the Thunder back in the day. Wow, playoff time. Most beautiful thing of my life. I wish I could go back to it. Hate my life now. But ultimately, 
the Thunder come up short that season, but now it's like, okay, Harden can be our main guy off the bench. This is when Harden kind of proves like, okay, I'm that guy. Yeah, we have Durant and Westbrook. I'm in their shadow, but I can still play my role. Harden's third season, his final season with OKC, this is the peak of his career with OKC, of course. Uh, this is when things take a great turn. The Beard puts up 16.8 points per game that season, earning sixth man of the year in a Thunder jersey, and he kept the same amount of impact when it came to his stat sheet. So his stats didn't drop off when it came to the playoffs, and he still kind of showed, like, Durant and Westbrook are slacking. I'm that guy. I'm here. He had a few great games for Oklahoma. He definitely won them a few, um, and obviously they lose in the finals that season. Hiring in six-man-of-the-year race, going in depth with it, if you take a look at it, it should have been unanimous. There shouldn't have been a debate. I believe the first point totals went to Harden 115 and Lou Will was second with three. I don't know who voted Lou Will to be first, uh, which kind of led to Harden not getting that unanimous vote, obviously. But it was by far a runaway for Harden for six man of the year. There was no debate. And I'm talking from the jump. Like there are articles dating back to November, December of that same season where it was like, okay, this guy's a lock to win six man of the year. Every other debate, Every other award had a debate to it. Harden is the one guy whose name never changed when it came to a single award. Lou Will, again, was the closest runner-up. But other than that, it was a bunch of, like, Harden peaked him. So Harden's at the peak of his career with OKC. He wants to sign an extension. The future seems bright. OKC has this new big three. They just made the finals. They have an amazing player who's willing to play his role. Harden didn't try to force his way out of OKC, which is where things kind of get interesting. And we kind of look at, you know, th th that idea that they chose Serge Ibaka over Harden. Now, at the time, obviously, Ibaka was a great defensive piece, and you don't really need three high-level scores. Uh, you kind of need to look at different weaknesses within your team, which I understand, but at the same time, again, it's easy to judge a team and their decisions 10 years later when you can fully see the outcome of something. So I'm not going to judge OKC for that move, but I am going to say this. Uh, obviously, Harden and Oklahoma, they don't come to terms on a contract extension. I believe that uh, OKC tried to offer him a four-year, $54 million extension. Harden didn't want that. He wanted something a little more. Um, and this ultimately led to him being dealt to the Houston Rockets. Now, this sparked outrage within the fan base because Harden was a fan favorite. Now, if you were an OKC fan, you would know he was a bucket. And you could kind of see the flashes. People just didn't talk about him as much because of Durant and Westbrook. Again, the moral of the story with Harden in our Thunder jersey is that he was in the shadows of Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. That's the reality of it. But his Houston years. Let's kind of dive deep into a little more about Houston because Oklahoma. Can I can I first say this? Because I'm looking at this finals roster. Um, right. And it is unbelievable what they had. Like this is a team going up against the Miami Heat. Kevin Durant was 23. Russell Westbrook was 23. James Harden and Serge Ibaka were both 22. As a as a core, yeah, that is. But you can't keep it together because, especially back then, the salary cap was low, low, Woo! and they had a lot of money already going to Durant and Westbrook. You can't keep a third star. And at this point, we're kind of seeing like, okay, Harden can be a star on another team. He wanted the bag. OKC didn't give it to him. Gets traded to the Rockets in return for Kevin Martin, Jeremy Lamb. Two first-round picks and two second-round picks. Now, I believe one of those first-round picks turned into Steven Adams, just for anybody who's curious. But James Harden's first season as a number one option came in the 2012-2013 season where he played his first season with the Rockets. And from the jump, it was obvious this guy is a bucket. Like, no doubt in anyone's mind, he was from the get-go on that superstar trajectory. According to an article written by Bleach Report during November of 2012, which was written about... Uh, after the first month of that season, so his first month being a starter and like the number one option on a team, Harden had ridiculous stats. 
The guy was putting up 30.5 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists on 52.9% from the field per 36 minutes. Hold up, because I, I, I got the game logs pulled up. You want to know what he did in his first game? What? 37. This was against Detroit, right? 30, against Detroit? Yes, 37, yeah. 12, and 6 with four steals. Yes. First game. First game as a Hold number up. one option. You, you want to know the second game? Yeah. <laughs> 40, 45 points on Holy. 73% shooting against Atlanta. Like, it's, again, and, and 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 keep in mind these scoring numbers, by the way, because Harden, as a scorer, we need to kind of put more respect on his name because he's done some stuff. But anyway, he would, of course, go on to receive his first All-Star nod that season, and he would never miss an All-Star game in a Houston jersey. And he went on to have one of the most underrated scoring stretches the league has ever seen season by season with a single team. Real quick, I want to run through the points per game numbers Harden has had in his 8.5 seasons with the Rockets. I don't really like bringing up numbers, so I'm just kind of shoot through these real quick. First season, 25.9 points per game. Second season, 25.4 points per game. Third season, 27.4 points per game. Fifth season, 29 points per game. Sixth season, 29.1 points per game. Seventh season, 30.4 points per game. Um, eighth season, oh, sorry, seventh season, 36.1 points per game. Eighth season, 34.3 points per game. And then the half season, he only played eight games. This was obviously the fat suit. We'll get into that in a bit. 24.8 points per game. During his tenure with the Rockets, James Harden was never outside top 10 in MVP voting. In order, from the start, from his first season in Houston to his eighth, we're not counting that half season. His rankings went eighth, fifth, second, ninth, second, first, second, third. Did you hear how many times I said second? Hold on. How, how about the assist? Because he led the league in assist while he was doing this. Oh, we're going to talk about the assist. We're going to talk while about the assist in a sec. This. Don't think I forgot about the playmaking. No, no, no. No, no. Don't think I forgot about I the playmaking. I thought you were trying to push whole... a narrative. No, 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 no. That's what I'm trying to say. You got to listen yeah. to the whole deep dive for the viewers. Listen, I'm going to go into his playmaking in a sec, and I've got some interesting numbers for his playmaking, and I'm actually going to back up a few of these turnover things that people like to address, especially when it comes to high usage rate players. But anyway, if Harden was in a Houston jersey, and you didn't mention him when listing the top 10 players in the league. You did not watch basketball. You didn't. Clear cut. The guy. Bucket. Obviously, so far, and this is where I'm going to get into the playmaking, I've been bringing up a lot of Harden's play scoring. But I do want to touch base on his playmaking. But real quick, before I do that, I think it would be criminal if I were to just vaguely go over some stats and not go in-depth in what I believe was Harden's best scoring stretch of his career and is in the argument for the best scoring stretch in NBA history. Like, I really mean that. And I'm speaking of Harden's scoring run from December 2018 to February 2019. From January, I'm just going to go over some from key moments from those two dates, from those two months. From January 2nd to January 29th, Harden scored at least, the minimum he scored was 32 points per night, which included a 57, 58, and a 61 bomb. He carried a streak of 32 games straight where he had at least 30 points, and this streak lasted from December 13th, 2018 to February 21st, 2019. From December 15th to 2018 to January 23rd, 2019, Harden averaged 42.8 points per game and is the only player in history to average more points. And the only player in history, sorry, to average more points in a 20 game stretch is Wilt Chamberlain, which, you know, come on, right? <laughs> like, but the most impressive thing, impressive thing, sorry that I take away from this insane scoring stretch from Harden was his efficiency. The guy shot 53.9% from the field during this run. Now, I know big things around Harden, 
is this idea that he's a free throw merchant, blah, blah, blah. But over this stretch, he was shooting over 15 shots a game. And as much as he did get to the line, he shot over 90% from the free throw line during the stretch. I don't think it's fair to discount a player for being able to exploit certain aspects of the game that led to him having an easy opportunity at something that he has mastered. And by this, I mean Harden in his free throw shooting. Now you can complain all of you, all you want. You can complain all you want that Harden got to the free throw line a lot. But at the end of the day, the job when you get on the court is to put the ball in the basket. Harden found a way to exploit the game in a legal manner to the point where I'm pretty sure they had to change the rules because of how good he was at it to get himself to the free throw line. And not only did he get himself to the free throw line, he shot over 90% from the line. So how can you seriously look at that player and think, oh, he's not a good scorer. He just got to the line. How did he get to the line in the first place? It's Why are they letting him get to the line in the first place? Right? It, I think uh... it's a very dumb argument to bring up free throw and call him a free throw merchant. I think it's dumb because as much as you want to call it out, at the end of the day, he's putting the ball in the basket. He's contributing to winning basketball. It's not like this was a stat stat padding thing with Harden because Houston was known to have 60, 50 win seasons, right? This isn't stat padding here. This is winning basketball. This is contributing to winning basketball. That 2018, 2019 season especially, or maybe it was the 2017, 2018. I can't remember which one. Houston had a 65 win season, right? So how can you look at that stat sheet and think and hate on it? Well, I don't agree with that. Uh... I don't agree with the hate. <laughs> And I understand if you don't like watching that basketball, I don't like watching it. Nobody likes watching it. But you cannot deny the fact that it contributed to winning basketball. It put numbers on the stat sheet. And I still consider him to be an elite scorer because of it. Because at the end of the day, what does scoring mean? What is the definition of scoring? Tell me. It's to put the ball in the basket. What did he do? What did he do? No, seriously. Like, like am I wrong? Oh, did I yeah, say anything that was wrong? You, you did not say anything that was wrong. I just know we're going to get into playoff talk. Oh, 100%. This, I'm talking regular season right now. Uh, yes, regular season, this is a, a machine of an offense. And it's yes. crazy that you bring up the field goal percentage because James Harden is someone who, if you were to bring up efficiency with him, he's an efficient basketball player. But a lot of times the field goal percentage won't say that because he takes a lot of yes. threes, which are, are worth more, but they're harder to make. Which means yes. that, right, if I make two layups, it's worth four points. If I make two three-pointers, worth six points. So the three-pointer is by nature more efficient, but he'll miss more of those, so the field goal percentage drops down. The fact that he was yeah. that high means that his true shooting percentage was like 65-70%, which is like, insane. And, and, and I love that you bring that up because do you remember the, the type of things that Harden was doing on the court? Yeah, I'm talking tween, tween, yeah. step back, four guys on him, and he's just, bro, and Harden one. in his prime was, was had, like the most more, beautiful thing. More four-point plays i ever seen. Real quick, I really want, I, I just want to real quick say this. I remember I did a video on the top top five four-point plays in NBA history. I genuinely went through like six minutes of Harden. I genuinely went through so many Harden highlights of him just getting a four-point play. But anyway, I'd like to touch base on... Uh, now, let's fade away from the scoring here and bring up again what I told you I was going to bring up uh, and touch base on a very underrated aspect to Harden's game as when we classify the beard as an offensive threat, we tend to only consider the scoring parts of his game. And that because that's what look that's essentially what looks pretty to the naked eye. But let's take a quick look at the playmaking side of things. Harden came into the league as a shooting guard and played most of his years in Houston as a shooting guard. He still had a high usage rate when he played the shooting guard and still posted up respectable assist numbers um, not so great turnover-wise. We're going to talk about that in a sec. But his main priority was never to pass. He was seen 
as a score first player. Then an experiment breaks out in the 2016-2017 season. D'Antoni, of course, takes over the Houston Rockets, who is of course known for his up-tempo offenses, relying heavily on three-pointers and playing smaller ball lineups, seven-second offense, uh, and makes one of his first major moves as a Rockets head coach. Announcing that this season, or before the season, Harden would be moved to be the Rockets' full-time point guard, which led to him seeing jumps in usage rates, of course, and now given the responsibility of having full control of the tempo when he's on the court. Harden's first season being the point guard led him to leading the NBA in assists and assists per game, having a ridiculous 907 assists for the season, averaging 11.2 assists per game. These numbers dropped the following seasons due to the additions of CP3 and Russ, of course. Uh, but if you look at the season, if you look at any season that Harden is the main point guard of the team, I'm talking Brooklyn and Philly. Moving forward, he never averages below double digits. But obviously, we'll talk about those teams in a, in a sec. These numbers drop off again because you bring in new point guards and... Before I wrap up here, I want to just quickly talk about his turnovers. Now, turnovers are an issue for Harden, but when the ball is in your hand, as often as it is with James, most teams... You got to pause that a little bit. So just a, yeah, quick, pause. a quick pause. Pause, pause, pause. Thank you so much. I thought about that. Thank you. Anyway, if the ball is paused, is in your hands as often as it is with James, most of the team's mistakes are going to depend on you. Obviously, having a high usage rate comes with the pros and the cons. When I take a deep dive at the team stats, because turnovers to the to, to a stat sheet, you could say, oh, James Harden turned the ball over five times. But not every turnover committed by a player can be justified as that specific player's fault. Obviously, someone could have ran the wrong play, made the wrong turn, made the wrong switch, whatever it may be. Now, I'm not justifying all of James Harden's turnovers. I would just like to point out that these high turnover numbers come with having a high usage rate. If you look at Harden's time in Houston and look at where Houston, not Harden, where Houston ranked, Team by team, when it came to turnover stats, so Houston's total turnover numbers compared to other teams, you'll see this. His first season with the Rockets, they were first in turnovers. Terrible. Second season, second. Third season, third. Fourth season, fourth. Fifth season, sixth. But then it goes to 19th, 25th, and 12th. So why people like to point out the high turnover numbers, I like to look at it from the perspective of improvement was constantly being made. They were constantly getting less turnovers. Now, Harden kind of got thrown into a role. He was used to being in Durant's and Westbrook's shadow. Now the ball is in his hands all the time. But through each season with Houston, he literally improved the team's turnover stats year by year. I'm not arguing that he's not a good, like, I'm not saying that he, he, he shouldn't be, you know, discredited for the amount of turnovers he had. Obviously, um, he could have handled the ball better. Sure. But his usage rates were so high and they were getting better through each season while also having a higher usage rate that... I'm not going to look at him and be like, he wasn't a good playmaker because he had a high turnover ratio. That's my point. I'm not going to discredit Harden for his passing and his playmaking ability because he had such a high turnover rate. The ball was in his hands like 40% of the time. That's not a lie, by the way. He had a season where he had a 40% usage rate. What do you expect of that man? What are you expecting? Uh, you know, hold on. I think usage rate, because I, I figured this out a while ago. I may have forgotten. It's when the play ends with you, um, whether you're making a shot it doesn't count like a pass into a missed shot. It counts a pass into an assist. Usage rate's a bit of a flawed step. I get what you mean. Like he had the ball in his hand. He had the basketball in his hands. We got to start calling it basketball. All right. Basketball. Yes. He, he yes. had the basketball yes. in his hands all the time. Um, Re but, yeah. Regular season wise, Harden was arguably a top three player in the league while on the Rockets. So how did this translate come playoff time? And why is it that the beard is ringless considering he was historical? through the 82-game season. That was, like, very cinematic. 
He he told me before the show that he was gonna do this, where he had a set. Yeah, I wanted like, to transition like, hoop. I wanted like, him to bro. It's gonna be so clean. And then I heard it, and I, like based on the tone of your voice, I knew that's what it was. Sorry, I just I, yeah. I, I would have laughed if I would have kept going. I get. Uh, okay, it's fine. <laughs> maybe next time. All right, but here we are. <laughs> the, I just wanted to let the hoop know when he could start. Yeah. At this point, because he he wanted me to do the rise to stardom. The way we set this up is we we take two major parts. Hoop does one, I do one. Yes. Um, they they know the secret now. Um, so going into the playoffs, I mean, the question you asked, why is he ringless? We could point to 2018. Um, I mean, you still had to be Cleveland, but in that game seven, they missed 27 straight threes, which we had broken down not very long ago. Um, which, which episode was that? Uh, the Chris Paul one, the Chris Paul breakdown. We, we went over the same thing cause it was right. Chris Paul who was injured, um, which was possibly a huge detriment to Harden's career. Cause now he's over here ring chasing. Maybe if he doesn't you know, lose that one. He's either a rocket for life um, yeah. or he's just chilling in Brooklyn or something. Um, but and, now yeah. he seems to be, you know, trying to fix up his legacy, but ultimately he's making it worse by failing in all these destinations in the playoffs. And we did an episode before the Chris Paul one, specifically on James Harden, um, where I was in an argument with uh, ZZ Huncho. And I have big ups to Z. Big ups to Z. I got pages worth of notes trying to defend James Harden. This is not an objective view. This was specifically me trying to defend him because Z made it look like right. He was like the worst playoff performer of all time. Now he's pretty bad. But what I want to say about James Harden in the playoffs is that yes, while he drops in efficiency and points per game and he goes up in turnovers and all of the, these things, you could say the same thing about players whose offense is heavily relied upon them, where they have the full burden of the offense. Take Allen Iverson into example. Take Dirk Nowitzki into example, who was considered a playoff uh, choker before the ring. Um, a lot of these guys, like Kevin Durant also, which we're going to do a deep dive on Kevin Durant. That's going to be a really good one because people love to... That's one of those guys, Like I feel like we're trying to lift up all these dudes. KD gets a little extra protection um, in my eyes, which we need to you know set the record straight. A lot of these players who don't have that second or, or third offensive creator, I, I don't even want to say score because you need someone who could actually make offense uh, to take a burden off someone in the playoffs because when the defense tightens up and you can game plan around this one guy, you're not game planning around Trevor Ariza. You're game planning around James Harden um, for seven straight games and eventually 21 straight games if you go further in the playoffs, uh, you're going to get stopped at some point. Um so while he dropped, I don't want to say that what he did was unnatural for the most part. I say for the most part because we can talk about him dropping in the playoffs and still having some success. He made the conference finals twice. He's He won a bunch of playoff series. But there have been too many games to say it's a fluke where James Harden has literally disappeared for games. I mentioned San Antonio, which I believe was a game six. I don't even think it was a game seven, right? It was in Houston. Dude the, went like, the, dude, oh, yeah, he went like right, two right, for right. sixteen. Some I don't even have. And that the stats. was right after the, the mono block. The mono block. It was disgusting. Um, it was the game after the mono block. I think. I think all of his momentum got ripped out. But dude, anyway. it was the one where uh, San Antonio still had that Jonathan Simmons dude. <laughs> that's that's how I remember. Yeah, this and season. then he went and signed like the biggest deal with Orlando for for <laughs> no reason. Uh, yeah, Jonathan. Where where did that man go? Um, <laughs> we got to do a deep dive on John Simmons. <laughs> how Yo. how a hundred and fifty dollar G League tryout turned into like a multi million dollar Orlando deal. We're just talking about random players, but Dante Exum just got back in the league too. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Oh no way! With who? Uh, the Mavericks. Yo, shout out Dante Exum. <laughs> he was supposed to be crazy. He tore his ACL. Nah, he was nice. Um, 
<laughs> Let's go back to Harden. Aside from Dante Exum. Um, so I have like notes here basically defending James Harden that he was only doing what he was supposed to. And uh, the defense, like the way the way D'Antoni ran, ran the offense, it was designed to let him implode in the playoffs, which I still stand on that that offense is not sustainable. That's why if you've been watching this podcast, I have been flaming the Boston Celtics all year because they ran their offense like the Houston Rockets, even though they had other people to create offense. And when I say like the Houston Rockets, I mean all these three-pointers um, or layups at the rim. There's nothing in between. There, I don't want to say there's no iso play, but there's not much to shake up. It's a lot of drive and kick, and if you're off, you're off. Um, and Tatum is a good mid-range shooter. Huh? And that's that's what I was so upset about because they have the personnel. It's not that right. It's not that they couldn't do it. And a lot of years with the Rockets, um, they they were forced to play this way because all they had was James Harden. They had a, a Dwight Howard, a Chandler, and, and Ryan Anderson, here, a Ryan Anderson, and a Ryan Anderson, but, <laughs> and an Eric Gordon. But they had the personnel to chuck up these threes, and it was so influential to the rest of the league because this means teams with a really good playmaker and maybe they didn't have the ability to sign another superstar, they could win a lot of regular season games by making these high-powered offenses. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I thought the Rockets had some decent defenses um, over those years, whether it's middle of the pack. Or it, they weren't abysmal. They weren't, like, horrendous. Um, I wouldn't call them horrendous. Yeah, but... They, like, they, they were full of 3 and D players. Yeah. But obviously, Harden... When we think about like Harden, we oh, defensively he talks. So you're gonna like categorize the whole team. That's, that's the what I'm saying. At all time. Like it, it you're right. A, you're right. They're not. Yeah, yeah. underrated. It it was a a model for what teams can do today to make themselves relevant, is what I'm saying. And it wasn't until Westbrook and Chris Paul came that they had that other creator to help them kind of bridge out of that where James Harden now has helped. And in that 2018 season where he takes the Warriors to seven games, he had Chris Paul. And that seemed like a match made in heaven. Uh, eventually, it wasn't because they hated each other, um, which we could talk about later because I, I heard another podcast, them talking about their competitive um, makeups just not being the same. We went over it. We went over it in, in the Chris Paul deep dive. So go listen oh, to yeah, that if you want to yeah, hear about the yeah. relationship. Sorry, sorry, my fault. My fault. Yeah. Um, but basically, like that that was about to work. Um, right. Where he had a secondary creator where James Harden was still right. the clear-cut first option. It just, yep. injury happened and... It just, it went downhill. Um, yeah. So after however many more years, he finds himself in Brooklyn, um, where I guess we can transition. But I guess, I don't know. He gets this bad stigma for being um, a playoff choker. And while there's yes. games where he disappears, like I mentioned before, the dude from the draft literally said he lacks aggressiveness in those moments, where in the NCAA yeah. tournament, he just did not shoot the ball, which is just hilariously accurate. Um, but at the same time, he, there has been more games than not um, where he's been aggressive and been a first option caliber player. It's just that the cards yes. didn't fall the right way in an era where he had to take down the Golden State Warriors in the West. Um, and, and that's the case for like like 99% of stars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, And that's why I love doing these deep dives. And I'm going to shamelessly plug something here. Um, we're on like a time constraint, which is why we're not like... If you really want to know, like, who has done an extensive Harden playoff, I think it was episode 44. It's in the 40s. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you want to know more about Harden's playoff woes or why that you shouldn't discredit him for it, because obviously Hoop made some great points on why he gets too hated uh, when it comes to his playoff run, uh, make sure to go check out that old episode because that definitely adds a lot more context to Hoop's point. 
Um, but obviously, we, we don't have... We had 45 minutes to talk about the playoffs. We don't have 45 minutes to talk about the playoffs today, right? Um, but before we transition, I know you brought up Brooklyn. Let's bring up a very uh, pivotal moment in Harden's career right before Brooklyn. Uh, so in January 2021, Harden's Houston saga comes to an end, being shipped off to Brooklyn that had four teams included. Now, I'm not going to go super in-depth with the players. I'm just going to list off some key guys that left. The Nets gave up. Uh, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and Torian Prince, who all got shipped off to different teams. Um, and I'm not going to go in-depth with the expectations that this team had, as this will be covered shortly by me when we talk about like his Brooklyn years uh, with the playoffs. In the playoffs, sorry. Uh, and I'm not going to go over how he played in Brooklyn, because that's what Hoop is ultimately going to talk about that in a bit as well. I'm going to go over the infamous fat suit. Now, there is this hilarious theory that James Harden wore a fat suit to lower his trade value to get sent somewhere that he can win from the jump as he was, and I'm asking all the viewers right now to pause the episode, visibly much thicker, like especially in the midsection. Like I needed to word, use the word thick because James Harden was a thick, thick human being. Nah, bro. He was, <laughs> he was pudgy, bro. He was pudgy. Like, I'm t- like, he, like it was different. Like, I remember, like, I was rubbing my eyes trying to figure out what the, what the heck I'm looking at right now. Um, and he would, like, cover it up with his warm-up fits, right? So you didn't actually see his body, which, which is where the fat suit kind of came in. Because it just looks like he put a pillow under his shirt. Um, and then to everybody's surprise, at the photo shoot, his photo shoot before his first Brooklyn Nets game, the guy is looking like the most fit human being on the planet. Like, he was looking much thinner. Um, it was obvious leading into that season, by the way, that Harden didn't want to be on Houston. Uh, he didn't believe in that team anymore because they were investing in a post-injury John Wall and a subpar team of out-of-prime players. I'm talking Oladipo, DeMarcus Cousins. Like, it was a, it was a weird team uh, looking back on it. And there was speculation that Harden uh, purposely miraged his weight to the media as he was either seen as super thin or super fat at random points. Like, do you remember that photo that came out during quarantine when he was on that hike and he was literally like, like not anorexic, but he was skinny, skinny. And then there's another photo of him boxing and he's just like the fattest guy in the world. Like, it, 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 he was l- very rapidly changing his his weight and his body. Um, And like, he would go from being the best ship in the world to looking like Kendrick Perkins. We'll never know the true story, but it is interesting to bring up that Harden could have actually planned to plummet his stock in the market uh, so that he could land on a team that wouldn't give up too much and still content from the jump um, because it was obvious that he was just ring chasing at this point. He was starting to grow more and more old and he needed to run. Um, but that's kind of like how we got to Brooklyn. If you want to segue that into his Brooklyn years, because obviously very underrated. I know you wanted to touch base on it. Yeah. So uh, at this point, he's like 31. Um and it's like made clear that he just cares about winning at this point. It's made more clear uh, right before this season. Um, he was it a pay cut he took to pay PJ Tucker to get on the roster. Um, it's he, he clearly yep. doesn't. And he turned down how much money from uh, Brooklyn? It was I think it was a super max of like sixty million a year, something like that. Yep. It would have been. Stop believing in them. It would have been up there by uh by by Bradley Beal type money, yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 it's fair to mention <laughs> that like there was there was like speculation that he didn't want to play with Kyrie. It's because it, of all the, the whole you know the it was a wild situation over there. Um, to start off, I mean, he played really well in Brooklyn, but they had to gut the roster. 
Um, I forget. Obviously, Cleveland was involved with them getting Jared, Jared Allen. Allen. Um, Karis LeVert somehow yeah, like it was, he it ended was up interesting. in there. They how many games did they play Brooklyn with with KD, Kyrie, and that group? Because they really, I mean, Kevin Durant was hurt. Um, I, I I don't think Kevin Durant ever played with Karis LeVert, did he? I'm maybe not Karis because wasn't Karis injured as well? I'm talking about that roster with like Dinwiddie and like those role players. Yeah, I don't think they played together because I remember was out Kyrie. The whole first Kyrie had to play his own right where he had yeah. some cool highlights. And then he got injured like short, yeah. shortly after. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was really just like a mishmash of players. But at this point, you have a prime Kevin Durant, who I believe yep. in Brooklyn had some of the plates on the best basketball of his life. I don't want to. Yes. I don't know if it was his twenty twenty one, especially. I think yeah, twenty twenty one playoffs against the Bucks is especially is especially some of the best basketball I've ever seen played. Um, yep, they have a prime Fair. James Harden, who does not have an extensive injury history. He's been a pretty much an Iron Man up to this point. Yeah, always playing like right above 70 games for the most point. Um, he had yeah. three years in a row where he played 81, he 82, won't talk 81. About that enough. Yeah, he played yeah. a lot of games. Like, he, he a just, lot of usage. Like, he was yeah, just a, a Yeah, he's injured. He's injured nowadays because he's old, and the guy literally, and he's a shifty guy. It's not like he was, like, uh, very, like, safe style of play. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he not, was, he's not a spot-up shooter. He's, he's going to work, yeah. yeah. Um, but with Brooklyn, I'm not going to go too deep into the stats. He, he became, I don't want to say more of a traditional point guard, um, but it, it, this was start of the, like the push for James Harden being a point guard and Kyrie being a two, um, when he was in Brooklyn, because James Harden took over the playmaking duties and there was a, a stretch of time duty. Where, where, what? You said duty. What are you, what are you for? Um, anyways, where there was a, a stretch of time in Brooklyn when he first arrived, where I believe Kevin Durant was out, um, and James Harden was third in the MVP voting. I have this up here. It's an article from April 2nd, um, 2021. It was Jokic 1, then Dame Lillard 2, and Harden 3. At the time, he was averaging 26, 8, and 11 assists um, on ridiculous efficiency, by the way. Um, It wasn't until that year's playoff run where he first off played incredible against Boston. And a big thing that I I stressed on the podcast before this year, because obviously James Harden disappeared this year as well. Now it's kind of like, oh, it's too much of a trend to ignore. But I said before that he played well enough with Chris Paul. He played well enough when he had help that maybe it wasn't that James Harden was just disappearing like he did in his early years because he had no other help. With uh, Kevin Durant and and, and, uh, a, a good team by his side, he put up ridiculous numbers versus Boston. Boston. Um, and then he his hamstring acted up, and he was a like a, a cripple against game one. Milwaukee. Literally the first minute yeah, of game one. Yeah. Um, but against Boston, I have the numbers here. He averaged 28, 11 assists, 7 rebounds, 2 steals, 55% shooting, 47% yeah. from 3. Over a five-game yeah. series, 36 minutes And he night. only had, and I, I want to point this out, he only had one game, which was game one, that he shot under 50%. Every game he shot over 50%. No, he was ridiculous. And that was, you could say that was pre-injury Brooklyn Harden. Like, that's how good he was. Um, And then the injury happened, and while he dropped 22 points in the game 7, um, five he, for was, 18. he was 5 for 17, 2 for 12 from 3. He was he played 53 minutes. So people can look at... He had 9 assists, 9, nine rebounds, too. But people would look at it and say, you know, Harden was out there. You know, that's why he just didn't get it done. 
he was severely injured. He missed. He, like he, he, he missed, wasn't supposed to return for the series. Dude, it was just because Kyrie got injured. Yeah, because he played game one for uh, 43 seconds. He got yeah. injured. Yeah. And then he was out the next three and then comes back and plays 45, 40, and 53 minutes on awful like, shooting. Come on. And the first two games, he shot one for 10 and five for nine. And five for yeah. nine. But you, you got what I mean. Um, so it's it's crazy to you know pin that on him, which a lot of people do. No, they'll, Brooklyn's they'll just go through his. There's no. nothing to pin on him for Brooklyn. So I want to say Brooklyn Harden, if you, if you look at it peak for peak, probably one of the better point guard seasons someone's ever had. Yes, like, tw- I agree. Twenty five and eleven, and it's on a winning and I, team. And I and I think that we don't talk about it because it was Durant, Kyrie, and Harden. If there's not a ring beside that name, it's a flaw, which is the way that we perceive it. Um, and ten years from now, nobody's going to mention his hamstring injury. Nobody's going to mention Kyrie went down. Nobody's going to mention that Durant was a. Maybe they'll mention the foot, the Kevin Durant shoe side, honestly. Uh, but nobody's going to mention that they took the reigning champions to a game seven overtime game, uh, and this was like probably Milwaukee's peak, right? Like nobody's going to mention those things. We're just going to mention, oh, they suck and fail, and Harden sucks. Yeah, and I wanna, I wanna say this because you, you said asked the question before, why doesn't he have a ring? And uh, you could point to Chris Paul. And I'm not right. Yeah. I'm not one to make hypotheticals. I wasn't. By the just, way, I wasn't hating on him when I said that. No, I agree. I was just I genuinely trying to segue. You. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Good, good job. Um, but yeah. I'm saying like not that hypothetical should be taken into account because you can make a hypothetical for every NBA team in existence. Yes, I can make a yes. hypothetical that the Knicks should have won the ring this year or wh- whatever it yes. may be. Um, but two ones that like, I guess are more reasonable than others are the Chris Paul situation and the. James Harden, Brooklyn situation where he was hurt and Kyrie Irving was hurt. If they, right, in game seven are all healthy, m- maybe they meet, meat Milwaukee. And then who did they play the I next round? It was, uh, was it Philly it was, um, or Atlanta? No, it was the Atlanta. It was Celtics, right? Oh, it was Atlanta. You're Versus, right. Bro, they have to beat it was Atlanta. 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 It was Atlanta. And then, and then Phoenix. So like that's, Atlanta lost Atlanta Atlanta like Giannis didn't play some of those games. Yeah. Right? Memories like knee went backwards. Yeah, Atlanta. Atlanta. That's funny. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, I, I was gonna talk about his playoff woes again. I know, but like you kind of went through everything, so I'm not gonna touch base on that anymore. I appreciate you going over that though. Um, but I'm not gonna circle back to the same points you made. Um, I think it's a good way to wrap things up now. We're not really gonna touch base on Philly because Philly just happened. Uh, the point of these deep dives is to not go over like necessarily a whole player's career is to go over things that you might have missed or to kind of eliminate different narratives that we believe are false. And if we're not eliminating them, we just hope that you guys look at it from a different perspective because the biggest, I guess the word to use is like the biggest like cancer in 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 basketball and the media is following media-driven opinions. We hope that through these episodes, you can kind of establish your own opinion. We're not telling you guys to listen to us. We're telling you guys to look at it from all angles. Uh, because there's always a side to a story that you haven't heard yet, and what if that side's right? What if what if Jordan Poole is a munch? What if, what, what what is like? What I think we should start doing this at the, at the end of EPs. What is like your if you were to describe James Harden in like a sentence or two as like an NBA player? What would you say? Like what's what is your James Harden takeaway? We should make this a thing. I can't do it in a word. Uh, actually, magical. James Harden was magical. Oh, that that sounds like glazing. I said you could use a sentence. I said you could use a sentence. Oh, you could use a sentence? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm talking about listen, you you also have to remember, I grew up, I grew up with James Harden. And James Harden was doing stuff that we didn't see before. So, like to my naked eye, like he obviously watching James Harden play basketball, that's can I, different. Can I give you one word? Innovative. What? Innovative. <laughs> that's Ma- a great magical. 
Magical. Stellar. Well, bro, that step, back, that step back, bro, that step back is dirty. That's a dirty step back. Tough. Um, is the tough. <laughs> Good. Ends the episode right there. Um, nah, if I were to explain James Harden, I would explain, I would, I would say, um, I wouldn't necessarily call him overrated or underrated, sorry, because I think that when you're getting second and third and first and like an MVP at one point every year, and you're basically hitting first team all NBA every year, and you're always at the top of a conference. And let's be honest, James Harden's name was always in the media. He was not like a low key player right? When you talk ball, you talk James Harden. He was always in the conversation for something. I'm not going to call him underrated because he did get his love from the league. Um, but I, I I don't like it when people call James Harden overrated. I can understand the playoff flops, but I can also understand that things are situational. And unfortunately, some guys just get the wrong end of the stick. Pause. But that's all I have left for today. I'm just you, you ain't, you ain't, like, you ain't have to soul, say that. You had, Z's soul is in the room with me when I like. For, I can't say uh, anything for without, those, without saying pause. For those who are new, uh, Z used to be on the show. Shout out Z. But he was the one who would always pause us. So now, not even <laughs> just on the podcast, in everyday life. I, in I, every life. I, I never like, used to think of this stuff, but he always used to like pin it on me. Every... Every... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yo, no, no, no more explaining for hoopology. Um, please pause the episode. And I'll just like to say this. Uh, this was James Harden Deep Dive. We I, appreciate I you guys get, for listening. I didn't get to get my James Harden takeaway. Oh, take it. Give it, please. I, give it, please. I, I had I had three sentences. My okay. first is James Harden is an all-time great scorer. James Harden yes. influenced the modern game of basketball. And James yes. Harden underperformed in the playoffs. Those are my three. Fair. All three great takes. James Harden with good playoff runs is a top 20 player of all time. Asked how I'm going to end this episode. Thank you for listening to Deep Dive. Uh, we're not going to tell you guys who's next. Obviously, we leave it as a surprise if you're new here. But we appreciate you guys for listening. And until next time.